must be hungry. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Trev here for the Boo Crew with episode 39. Before we get going, we wanted to mention we're going to be at Monster Palooza in Pasadena, California, April 12th to 14th. We are so excited. It's one of our favorite events of the year and the first time for us being an exhibitor there. It's a celebration of the art of monsters and movie magic. There's over 250 booths, celebrity guests, makeup demos, one of the highlights being a monster museum with insanely talented artists displaying life-size pieces and more. Do not miss this. We'll be hanging out, handing out some free stuff. We'll have Boo Crew shirts for Sale, some screen used movie props on display. Come say hey. Tickets at monsterpalooza.com. And now, on with the show. Andy Grush and Taylor Newton Stewart, also known as the Newton Brothers, are absolutely brilliant film composers. They're also among the coolest and nicest people we have ever met, hands down. Just so genuine, humble, and kind. They scored a ton of projects in and outside of the horror genre. Most recently, they created the Sonic Palette from Mike Flanagan's game changing series, The Haunting of Hill House. They've worked with Mike a ton before. We'll talk about all of that. Learn about their unique scoring approach, the musical secrets to terrifying an audience, a demonstration of the world's spookiest instruments, why you should get really excited for the new film they're working on called Dr. Sleep, and more. Then they take a seat at the gorgeous, hand-carved, 100-year-old piano we have in here for a live performance of a selection of themes from Hill House. The video link for that is up now at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Let's join hands and form the circle, shall we? This is Andy. And this is Taylor from the Newton Brothers. And you are hanging out with the Boo Boo Crew! Yeah! Introducing Hasbro's Ouija. Is that the one where you talk to ghosts? It's actually pretty fun. Is there a spirit here? Oh my god. There are only three simple rules. Never play alone. Spirit, can you hear me? Never play in a graveyard. We played in a graveyard. And always say goodbye. Good night, Romeo. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio are two of the most influential and important composers, record producers, and conductors working in film content today. They have scored dozens of projects, such as the Nicolas Cage film The Runner, the 2018 sci-fi thriller Extinction for Netflix, Stacey Titles The Bye Bye Man, The Sasuke Sisters, See No Evil 2, and many, many more. They are the composers that the modern horror genre's taste-making storyteller Mike Flanagan has entrusted with his canvas of enthralling darkness since their work together on 2013's Oculus. When on to weave the fabrics of the most terrifying experiences captured in the lens. Hush, Before I Wake, Ouija, Origin of Evil, Gerald's Game, all ten episodes of season one of the critically acclaimed groundbreaking series The Haunting of Hill House and have just announced their involvement in the upcoming Doctor Sleep. Whether it's the foreboding sounds of a possessed mirror or the haunting waltz that is grief and despair, these two intrepid spirits approach each work as not just a project, but as a story they can tell. A chance to innovate, to inspire, and to rewrite the rule book. We are honored to welcome Andy Grush and Taylor Newton's Stuart, the duo known as the Newton Brothers. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you to God. Thanks. Thank you so much. Why do you show bowing on a podcast? Thank you guys so much. Seriously. We are truly massive fans of your work. You've become such an integral part of the progression and reinvention of the horror genre and what it is to augment that experience through sound and music. Focusing on that, what were your first impactful experiences with the horror genre? Let's start with Taylor. I mean, for me, Psycho is the first thing. Jaws also made it hard to take a bath when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say those two were the main ones. And then from there, it kind of, you know, expanded. But boy, you know, anything that sticks in your head and lasts and kind of haunts you, especially as as a kid growing up, I would say they've done a a very good job. (laughs) (laughs) No accident that those two are defined by their uh, musical score? It's funny you say that. Yeah. At, at the time, you know, I, I was rebellious and refused to take piano lessons. I think it was just the cinematic appeal to me just, you know, as a whole, the art form, how it communicates and, and gets under your skin and, and just kind of haunts you almost in some, you know, in some ways emotionally, you know, it's just like Psycho, you know, you care for these characters and then <laughs> and then they die. <laughs> <laughs> I had a babysitter in the, this would have been the mid 80s, 
who's watching Friday the 13th while she was babysitting. Oh, classic. I wasn't quite old enough. I think I was about 10 years old. I wasn't quite old enough to understand what was happening, except I knew I didn't feel good about it. I remember remember there was like a couple like having sex and they got impaled, I think. Um, And I remember not feeling good about that. And my mom actually fired her and never, because I told her like I couldn't sleep. She said, why can't you sleep? I said, we watched this. Movie Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> <laughs> really messed me up. Uh, and then fast forward to years later, I, I had a paper route delivering the Star News in Pasadena. I grew up in Sierra Madre. I saw Alien and then saw Aliens and was <laughs> wow. in love with Ripley and what yeah. like a badass she was. And so I had a VHS tape of it, and I would go deliver papers in the morning. And then I have two hours to kill before school, so I'd throw in the VHS tape. I wore that VHS tape down. Watching those two movies just back to back while I'd like drink my carnation instant breakfast. Before school. <laughs> and that was, I mean, that was sort of the beginning of it, I, I think. You know, I don't, Alien is a horror movie. 100%. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 That's the haunted house movie. And then Aliens is the roller coaster. Ah. Oh, wow. That's true. Yeah. But it is. It's, a, it's right. a monster in the house. It totally is. <laughs> or in your stomach. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what were some of the first films that you saw where you remember noticing the score? Oh, I think for me, uh, that would have been when I first saw The Exorcist. Yikes. That, Yeah. <laughs> That was a bit painful. Also, Rosemary's Baby ruined me. Oh, that, that singing in that movie, oh, I, I can't handle it. It's so creepy that if I sing it even now, sometimes we'll reference things. And I actually referenced it when we were working on Ouija. And it, it's disturbing, right? I mean, can we yeah. all agree yeah. to that? Yeah. Yeah. that like creepy. Oh. <laughs> oh no! You guys ever seen the live performance of Mike Oldfield performing Tubular Bells? No. Oh, you gotta watch that. Go on like YouTube or something. Watch it. It starts off with you know with that same mm-hmm. you know over and over. Yeah. And then he starts escalating like a bass track and then like a synth track and a guitar and then the next thing you know it's like eighty tracks of live audio. Oh wow! Stuff he's just looping back and forth. Getting oh, bigger, wow. and bigger and bigger and bigger. Bigger and bigger. Yeah. And who wow. knew? Who knew? Because oh. all we hear is that bit. That same, you know, yep. uh, piano, you know, so it's crazy that the, so that, that track is so huge. There's, huh. some, there's something so nostalgic about 80s horror movies and yeah. music. There's just something that just stays with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then last, it keeps going. It keeps transcending generation and generation. In fact, they remake them and they're not as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like our kids know the Halloween theme. They don't know really anything about the movie, but they can sing you the theme or Play it on piano. Yeah, that Jaws is all those classic themes. Mentioning The Exorcist, you were in the middle of telling a story when we came in, and we we're like, "Hey, save it for the save it for the thing." So, <laughs> uh, when I was in college, I was taking a class about all religions, and when we were getting into Catholicism, we had a priest come in who was the priest who was hired from the seminary to hold down the child. He was brought in because he was big at the time. He was still big, and this would have been in '94 that he came in and talked to us. But the things he said, and what's interesting is how he ended it. First, he told us the story, and then he opened it up to questions. And obviously, everyone was just like, well, all these questions. Like, how do you know? What do you think? And what was most interesting to me wasn't that he was, like, convinced that the child was possessed, but he was still to this day confused as to things didn't make sense to him. Like, the child broke his arm. He still to this day kept the x-ray from the hospital to show that the child broke his arm. The child speaking Latin, you know, and there's all, of course, there's, I, I'm not supposing that it is or is not right, what right. it is, but it's interesting to talk about. <laughs> and it's funny how he closed out the discussion to the class by saying someone had said something that was sort of offhanded, like, oh, crazy, did, did the head spin around? And his answer to that was, he didn't obviously say, no, the head didn't spin around. His answer was, I don't think that a true satanic spirit would do things as mediocre as you are all sort of thinking would happen a true evil spirit wants to like possess your life and do things that you as humans we don't think like we think that like you die because someone is evil like he was like no 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 that's like evil 101 yeah yeah if there really is he's like he's like this is just my like 80 years of being a priest if there is an evil spirit it's way more messed up than any of you are even thinking about right now and I was right like, wow he didn't even give an example though so you're just left with- <laughs> oh, wow. that's, a, that's a power way to go out <laughs> you are in class or you know it's i don't know we can all think of really demented things i think right wow. oh my god so the actual case happened like it was based on a real case 
SpaceX. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, in fact, uh, that boy, believe it or not, went on to work for NASA. What? He, he, yeah, he, he was a NASA engineer for many years, retired not that long ago. So they put two and two together. You know, people did research on the Alexian Brothers Hospital where that exorcism took place in uh, St. Louis. Yes. And they found the house and all that. And they put two and two, the yearbook pictures, and they matched it to one person. And uh, sure enough, he retired not that long ago. So he's still alive. Wow. Uh, I'm not sure if he's in his, I don't know, 70s now, 60s, 70s. getting chills right now. That is crazy. (laughs) That's super But never spoken about it. People have been wondering if he even remembers anything, you know? Yeah, it's it's a pretty chilling case. I kept my class syllabus, so I'll I'll actually find, I recently moved, so I'll find the actual syllabus and find his name. I'm really curious who that is. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Super creepy. Super cold. We'll get this out of the way. Obviously, you guys are not blood relatives. You both went in different trajectories as far as your careers in composition, independently of each other. What did that look like up until the point where you guys got together? We were both sort of working separately before we met each other, both doing music. He was actually just coming off of Mothman Prophecies. Cool. Yeah, that was a great movie. Rules of Attraction. (laughs) Yeah. So I was a big fan of his. We met through a a friend and I had just moved to L.A. because at the time, my my wife at the time, she wanted to be an actress. And so uh, I had just kind of moved there. and, And then I started working for various composers. We wanted to work together. But strangely enough, our jobs at the time of who we were working for, they didn't want us writing on other things. We wanted to come up with a name that kind of hides who we, you know, at the time who we were. Gotcha. And uh-huh. so that's, and then what happened was, is we started doing more projects and it kind of stuck and people would be like, oh, and they'd be like, oh, what did this, you know, like, well, we like Isaac Newton. But the truth of it was that we needed something to kind of hide the fact of we were so when the movie came out or something happened, they wouldn't be like, well, I told you not to be. You right, know, right. You're fired. You know? <laughs> so uh, that kind of led us this way. I came from a lot of electronic music and bands and my mom sang opera. My dad played country music and it was, you know, very, very strange. <laughs> I loved his style of music. It was very I thought it was very unique and very uh, different. And so we just started writing together. And then now sometimes I can't tell whose cues who after six months of going back, listening to a track, I'm like, oh, I think, yeah, I thought you wrote most of that, you know? Yeah. We don't even remember sometimes now. It's hilarious. Yeah, like, especially the, yeah. with the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coffee? <laughs> coffee? Yeah, yeah. Coffee? Yes. What? Sleep? Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the idea of a composition duo for the most part, is pretty rare. There's famous songwriting duos like Elton John and Bernie Taupin and Lennon McCartney, all that stuff. And I guess the Sherman Brothers with Disney stuff. But a lot of that was actually more songs. The only one I could really think of off the top of my head would be Tom and Andy. What are the creative advantages of the dynamics of a partnership like you guys have? Well, you get a free therapist with (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the... I mean, it's it's interesting you say that. We've had this discussion with tons of different people, but... I think the biggest thing is that when you sit down to see, see a film, there's your interpretation of what you think it should be. And there's obviously the director and the producer, what they're wanting. And sometimes your ideas are, are maybe brilliant. Maybe they're also terrible. When you have someone else, you can filter things back and forth and kind of play off each other. And maybe part of it's great or part of it isn't. So by the time it actually lands to the director, it's been filtered and it's not so just like, here's what I was thinking and here it is. Yeah. Right. And I think that's allowed us, you know, for a while we were the fix-it guy. Someone would get fired and we'd come in and we'd fix the score in like three weeks. We kind of have this shorthand and we're obviously very quick because there's two of us. It makes it nice. And also, yeah, it's two in the morning and you're, you know, you can't think of anything and you're just drained. You can complain to someone too it's like a, it's like a marriage in some ways it really is it's like a marriage well that is i mean it must you know i wouldn't know if it takes the pressure entirely off but it would help to be able to depend on someone in an industry where there is so much pressure that you're both going through it together it's huge yeah it's massive because there's like a, a mini camaraderie of especially early on in a project you're looking to find something that is the sound or the theme or the tone of a film and a story and in finding that you want to be aggressive and try things that are interesting and new. Doing that also means you can fail miserably, you know, because when you try something that's different, a lot of people, they want the notebook, they want the notebook, right? They want that. If they want a thing, they want a thing. And to try a new thing is always really hard. So having the two of us is real nice because one of us or both of us will push those boundaries 
and the other one will be like, whoa, man, no, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> hey, maybe you should get some sleep and rework that you or, you know, or wow, I didn't even think of that. That's really cool. It's it's nice. And it's, it's also inspiring, too, because there's a lot of highs and lows being composers. You know, you have like crazy deadlines and you get to the end where you're just like completely drained and you have nothing left. And then the next day, the other one of us will be like, yo, man, like, good job. Or like, pick your head up. It'll be fine. So it's nice. Wow. Lightning truly struck when you guys hooked up with each other, because to have that partnership is so rare. It I mean, is, so yeah. rare. I think it's crazy that rare that we are never on the same. I should knock on. We're never <laughs> on the same bad mood schedule. Like there's times when he'll listen to me complain like for an hour and I'll be like, I'm sorry. I know I just complained to you for an hour, but he'll just listen you know like wow thank you <laughs> oh i love you guys <laughs> we love you guys <laughs> do you guys uh, uh typically work remotely separately or together in the same room sometimes most of the time or it's typically i would say maybe 60 70 percent of the time we're not in the same room and then the other time we are what we like to do in the very very beginning is we actually don't talk about what we're doing so I don't get any of his ideas. He's not getting in mine. Oh, it's like a double blind. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then before we see the director and before we get that close, we bring it together and we're like, okay, I like this. I like that. I don't like this. Then we start kind of riffing off each other and then filtering things and, you know, going from there. It's super fun. I mean, I, yeah, very lucky too, because like a relationship, you know, you know, there's highs and lows and, and with him, it's been, he can be blatantly honest and you don't take it personally. Right. I mean, it's. And in this business, you really can't either because the director is going to, you know, it's going to lay into you. <laughs> yeah. you know? So it's nice, to, it's nice to be able to have someone who just tells you how it is. I know how important music is to both of you. What bands do you guys listen to that you just love? Bands? Oh, man. Recent bands or just anything? <laughs> just anything that I have my comfort bands that I love to listen to no matter what. Are there any bands? Like, I know you said you like electronic music. It's funny when I want like something to just kind of not think, have to think about it, just kind of relaxing. And my girlfriend laughs at me all the time. I'll go in the shower and I'll be Alexa, play the flamingos. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, it's super random, but it's right. just kind of the velvety voice and it's rich. And it's I like those old 60s. Kind of just, it, I don't know, something nostalgic to me listening to those. I'm not necessarily inspired by that other than, you know, you get the kind of feeling of comfort. But, uh, I know, obviously, I would say contemporary artists. I love a lot of stuff. Johnny and Tom from Radiohead. I love with a lot of the stuff they've done. I think their work is incredible. It's gotten really, really avant-garde lately. But uh, <laughs> I think they're incredibly talented and inspired. And I, I think um, Pink Floyd is another incredible yeah. artist. I mean, there's so many bands in the Beatles. There's so much music out there. As Hans once told me, it's all rock tunes. <laughs> <laughs> five chords. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, it's all, you know, it's five chords. <laughs> so, and it's true. It's, you know, it kind of is. And there probably is just too many bands to, to name. I, you know, I grew up with so much music. My mom, you know, she would sing all these show tunes from the operas and so much stuff. And my dad was all over the place and playing bars and clubs and stuff. So it's been, you know, a lot of it. I'll answer this as short <laughs> as I can because it's a weird answer. Like okay. I grew up playing classical piano and at a certain age, my piano or my uncle was a session piano player in Los Angeles at the time uh, in the 70s. He came over at one point and was like, no, 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 no. Like I was playing. I was really into Bach. I really love the chords that Bach. I was into everything Bach. And he was like, no, 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 this is really good, but here's all what you need to know. And he would write chords for me and be like, this is a, here's, this is C and here's how you write C minor. And here's how you, and here are chords and here are the one, four, five, and then six and six, four, five. And that blew my mind. And then he started like playing like songs for me on the radio, Beatles. And I was like, all of a sudden classical was like, that sucks. Like, <laughs> but it was really nice to have had like several years of classical and playing the recitals. Because that like launched me into like with uh -huh. the pop and rock stuff, <laughs> well, no, no. getting into like all kinds of like really cool stuff. And I don't know where this happened, but somewhere along the line, I went from classical to Beatles, Phil Collins, Genesis, oh, that sort of thing. And then I got into like gnarly rock and got into punk. And like, so I don't know how I ended up going from classical to like anything that was like aggressive. And then, uh, <laughs> and now it's like, now I, I go on these long runs at night to like get steam off and 
But all my friends are like, dude, you, you listen to like Screamo. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do actually. Like, that's sort of what I'm into. I love like aggressive okay. bands now. That's cool. Prodigies. I mean, yeah, pro- yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a specific. I have a whole bunch, but I, my playlist is something like a 14 year old in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. You're like yeah. walking into Hot Topic. It's interesting to think because for you guys who do music for your job, what music do you listen to? Like that quite it's a great question. It's interesting because I know like asking filmmakers what movies they watch or people who write TV shows what TV shows they watch and it's always the opposite of what you think because it's just that sort of release yes. right yeah. yes where you don't think about it it's purely emotional yeah whether nostalgic or aggro or yes. whatever it is it's a really interesting there there's this band that I've been really into lately and I for the reason that they emote and I think that's what gets me excited about bands that emote death heaven They're like explosions in the sky meets the craziest thrash metal band. Wow. Wow. And they do these 14 minute pieces where you're just like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And then all of a sudden you're just annihilated. <laughs> and I've seen them play a couple times. And I, what I love is that I believe them. I think that's what we're always searching for, too, is to like write a score or do something that people will believe. Because I feel like you can smell phony real quick in life especially nowadays because it's so easy to just sure. like pull up something and do something yeah, so i think yeah. finding that thing that connects with people that makes him feel like oh my gosh i absolutely believe what trevor just told me or said or sang or whatever it's like the thing i think i don't know one of the many things that i find so beautiful about your approach is your ability to not only enhance the experience of a story but become really one and the same with it and i think that one of the ways you guys do that in all your work is that you don't dictate the feeling or warn what is coming and in terms of your work specifically in horror you don't announce scares or terrifying moments what role does that misdirection and magic play in what you guys do as the Newton brothers. It's kind of become your brand. Oh, thanks. I, I mean, I have to say most of, or I say a lot of our career, especially now with that genre, it's funny, I don't think of it as horror, but you know, it really is, is Mike Flanagan. And that guy, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever talked to him or had a conversation with him. He pretty much shoots the entire film in his head and then he edits it. And then when he's on set, he doesn't waste or guess shots. He knows very specifically what he wants. And he knows what it's supposed to look like. He knows very, very meticulously. Like, it, it's amazing. It's actually, it's, it's brilliant and it's incredible to watch. And that trickles into all the departments. Now, he always encourages us to try and do as much crazy stuff, especially early on, you know, as possible. But he knows what he's going for. He's not guesswork. And so what that allows us, for instance, Mike is not a big person who says, hey, there's a scare coming up. I want you to get scared. He wants it to be just all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. And then, you know, it crushes you emotionally. Yeah. And I think a lot of directors and producers, they don't go that route. And they choose to go by dictating what you should feel rather than letting the audience take a moment to be like, wow, I feel I feel really sad and it wrecks me that, you know, and it reminds them of their own stuff. And, and he sends the dive into that really, really well. Not only that, musically, I mean, he's an incredible piano player. He writes music, too. Oh, wow. Oh, he's, he's, yeah. he's amazing. He communicates to us and just be like, hey, I want to go major, minor, let's go. You know, he just, he knows music. That kind of makes our shorthand really quick and easy, obviously, with him. I think that approach to that genre, especially, has bled into other films we've done with other directors. They'll be like, oh, I want it to be super duper, super scary. And then we just say, hey, yeah, we can do that. Sure. But you understand that if it's super scary, when it actually lands, you're not going to be that scared because you're expecting it. Yeah. We've done, what, seven or eight movies with Mike? I think that's just kind of now become part of our approach, especially that genre. We There's specific things we do, we go to, and I think that kind of has helped form how we sound and what we do. And I think for Mike, too, you know, he's made his brand and what he does. And man, I mean, you wait till you guys see what he has in store next. I mean, he's he is incredible. We were, so, this is pretty interesting. We were working on a scene just uh, last week, the night of the lightning storm. Oh. We're trying to nail this this scene. And um, he called us up and was like, hey, don't be afraid to use E flat or A flat, the chords within a sequence. He knew 
what key we're in and we're working on a sequence and you know sometimes you'll avoid certain progressions to avoid like being too melodramatic or too corny or too sad or whatever and he's like so dialed in that he, he called us up and was like hey don't be afraid to hit the E flat or A flat chord in the sequence. Go, That's like, go wow. nuts. And then yeah. just like, let us go nuts, which is just like so awesome. So does he not have like temp music? Because he knows exactly what he wants. Does he not need temp music? Because he can just dialogue it to you? It depends on the project, I would say. There's been a couple movies where he's had some temp music. And then there's been some movies where, on Hill House, for instance, while he was filming, we were writing and writing. We probably wrote, what, like hours, hours worth yeah. of material. Yeah. And then something he didn't even hear. Yeah. And then, you know, when he got back, he just put it in and use the things he was liking it worked out great and then there's some movies where he specifically you know now he's you know he's doing doctor sleep and he's specifically wants certain things and it's it's always a mix hush didn't have any temp score did it i don't believe so i remember what's crazy about hush is they kind of did it like real like loose and quick and like went off <laughs> and shot it and they came back and we screened it and i remember we screened it and had no music in it oh, yeah and i got to the end was like i need a xanax that was intense that was wow like oh what you yeah. guys do with the score with that is very different from everything i've heard you guys do too yeah. oh thanks thank you, you first of all it's a movie that has virtually no dialogue and the sounds you use you really play with the human ear actually there's weird swells there's water whooshes and it's sonically uneasy to listen to were you guys finding sounds inventing sounds to do that what was the approach yeah we went nuts we turned into like field recordists for that project and kind of what we did like after we saw it after we both <laughs> lost our minds and thought like what are we gonna do for this it just <laughs> We went out and recorded all kinds of stuff, water, bees, hundreds of things, most of them that we didn't end up using. But our idea and our approach was like, let's start off with nature because there's bells. that gorgeous yeah. shot and we have bells and chimes. It's like super ethereal. Were, yeah. yeah. Is that a pan flute sounds like even? Yeah, it's a pan flute. <laughs> what we found was if we played too many notes with some of the woodwind instruments, it quickly sounds too corny. So we just hold on single notes and make clusters of notes and just kind of like almost design them into it. And then as things start going poorly throughout the film, we kind of fall off of the organic instruments and took all those sounds and crazy mastermind with all his crazy modular yeah. sense here, yeah. <laughs> took all those sounds and like mangled them to hell. And then we just started playing them as different sounds. And as the scenes are deteriorating, so are the sounds so that you feel like uncomfortable and wrecked sort of the same way, I guess. I can't even imagine how someone like that would feel in that situation. But oh. yeah. And then, you know, you get to the end and you, you get a payoff of like, piano and vocals to feel like oh oh my god right right yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we use these fog horns actually for the for the main bad guy and uh i remember sitting with mike and trevor and then i was sitting there and i was like oh this, this is not gonna this is gonna get flagged and so we're playing and trevor was like he's one of the producers he was like is that a a horn? <laughs> and, you know, it was, was like, like, a, like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. And it was just two octaves of up and down. But it was like, a, it was supposed to be like a bird call, but it was just really, really low. We have this poster that uh, Trevor signed from, from Oculus, actually. In general, he doesn't typically like a lot of piano and scores. And so, and Mike loves piano. So he wrote on there, please, more piano. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this kind of joke that we have, you know. What is the weirdest thing you've made a sound with? Whether it failed or you used it. Goat balls. Nice. <laughs> Let's go on. Amazing. Explain. <laughs> For certain projects, um, you know, you use percussion and stuff. And strangely enough, I heard it in on, on the internet and I was just like, Oh, this is this is amazing. And so uh, I had to I had to find these samples of these goat balls and then they sounded kind of a little different. I just like the way they sound. I don't even know. I mean, it could have been like something else, every kind of percussion, but they, you know, they were goat balls. How do you play a goat ball? <laughs> knock uh, them together? <laughs> you know, that, that, that could be an option. I, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't actually think it was worth it to actually get the real thing. But uh, I just, it was a stuck, preset. 
I stuck with the sample. It actually wasn't a preset, but yeah, I stuck with the sample. <laughs> so I would say that was something strange we've really used. Recently for this film we're doing now, we used, interesting, we took chants and voices and we sampled them in a way that kind of takes the sample and stretches it apart. And then you isolate a piece of the stretched material that you oh, want. Wow. And we're using that, and it sounds kind of like a high-pitched teapot that's like steaming a little bit oh, at, at, at points. And it's very disturbing, and then it kind of comes back from that, and you hear a little bit of the, the voice a little bit, but it's not quite distinguishable, and, and that's where, where we are right now. Wow, <laughs> that's creepy. How important is it to you guys to go outside the box every time you approach something? Super important. Like, we, we want to take it to a point of failure at the beginning. I feel like if we don't get told, oh, hell no, then we haven't tried. I mean, there are some projects that don't warrant it. Sometimes it's just like, this is really all we want. Even then, we'll still kind of push the boundaries. I think that's really important every time. Like, we'll nerd out. We won't get specific, but after we've watched the film or talked with the director or producers about whatever the project is, we'll have like a sidebar. We'll like go to Whole Foods and eat sushi and kale salads and like, <laughs> like uh, super deep. Yeah. We'll just sort of generally talk about the idea. Like we'll talk about films or bands or scores or ideas of a direction we want to go in. And then a couple days later, we'll come up. He usually comes up with the most interesting things like, there's this guy. We have to go to Peru. <laughs> <laughs> he the he's got goat balls. Oh, man. But it's great. And we've got a lot of fun. Like, we, we actually have traveled around a bit for Dr. Sleep and recorded a bunch of interesting things that we can tell you guys about in a few months. But it's, it's really cool. We've gone to a few different states and, like, recorded some different musicians as well as, like, installations of wind acting upon an installation that is cool. so wow. fun yeah yeah it's been really fun yeah we recorded with a water phone for haunting hill house well, sort of actually we sampled it because we made it wasn't long enough as you strike a water phone it's not long enough so we made it long into this pad and it sounds ghost-like which is interesting um this is an easy one i brought this and this is called a thunder oh cool <laughs> Leo, you should take some uh, video of this. You could do weird with stuff with it, too. You could do, like, interesting, like, cool stuff with it. While he's setting that up, yeah. I'll, I'll admit this, and then you guys can waterboard me first, even admitting this. But I, <laughs> I was uh, I played hockey in high school, and they needed someone to help cheerleaders with stunts, so I became a cheerleader. So I have my old megaphone, and I hook it up to this. And you put it up to the big, you know, oh, go wow. fight, win, like yeah, yeah, thing, <laughs> and it makes this huge, creepy sound. So that is wow. awesome. What have you used that in? We've used this. Yeah, what have you in, used that in? Um, <laughs> we've used this in Ouija and in something we're working on right now too, in a very interesting way. Very yeah. cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then over there we have He's the water, water phone. phone so, yeah. yeah, normally, obviously, you put you hold water in the top of this. You don't fill it all the way, but just enough to get it going. And then what happens is it kind of. Uh, vibrates well, I'll just play it here, but and you kind of you move it a little bit tends to get more vibration and especially with water and then when the water's inside it does this weird like that is so cool wow. thing. so that's really a sound cool. that we've heard a million times on like poltergeist Tons right stuff. Yeah, use that yeah yes. yeah yep. that's where I stole it from yes yeah. Wow. exactly yeah so the problem with it though is that see it's not that very long right you know it, it doesn't doesn't really keep going it doesn't sustain what we did <laughs> Sorry, I had a little spinal tap. Sorry. We just took the sample and we just elongated it, made it so it was like a pad. So that's what you know. You hear more of that stuff in the haunting of Hill House. In Ouija, it was really cold out, and he was recording. It and he had a he rides a motorcycle. He had his leather jacket on, and so he recorded it one day and sent me all the files. And I got the files, and I was like, dude. How did you get that weird creaking sound that's happening with it? Oh, the leather. <laughs> it was his leather jacket moving while he was playing it. And so it's actually in the final movie, you'll hear any place there's a water phone, you'll hear this creaking with it, and it's his leather jacket. It's pretty cool. Oh, oh my God. It's Bonus. great. And you can even take a little, like, little mallets or something and hit the bottom of it. And you get great, you can get great, you know, little percussion and stuff, which is very poltergeisty. That's oh, about. yeah. It's a great sound. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It's very unique. So was that instrument actually designed by someone in particular for a movie? Or what? The, what's the story? It's a very unconventional looking piece of metal, basically, with spikes all around yeah, it. Yeah, right. that you play with a question. bow. We should know, actually. <laughs> you know, I should know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I forget the name of the guy who actually built it. I mean, it's been around for a long, long time. It's kind of simple in the idea of what it does, but it makes such a creepy, eerie sound. It's, yeah, it's yeah, so specific. Yeah. But yeah, I would like to say Benjamin Franklin, but I know that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> John Waterphone. <laughs> Exactly. Now, the Ouija Origin of Evil soundtrack, you guys actually recorded it in a very interesting place as well. We recorded that score in an old church at Ocean Way in Nashville. I mean, we tried to be as authentic as we could to the timeline, even not all of the gear, but we tried to as much as we could, like use microphones from that, like everything that we could. Tape. Tape, yeah, which was a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Tape is awesome, but it was a nightmare to like record all that and deal with tape and orchestra and having to reprint the whatever. Yeah, but it was really interesting. We were really happy with how it sort of turned out. Oh yeah, it's a terrifying yeah. movie too. One of oh, the scariest yeah. I've oh, ever seen, yeah, honestly. It's, it's creepy. Yeah. yeah. like dark movies are there any paranormal stuff that you've witnessed while recording or is there anything you guys do before you work on those pieces watch disney movies <laughs> <laughs> well even that movie the bye bye man that you guys did that's based on a really freaky true story you're not even supposed to think of the name the bye bye man let alone say it and you're working on music for these projects that are steeped in these stories and some of them true stories is there any moments when you're working on stuff or is like this is fucking really weird or this weird shit starting to happen or anything yeah there's there's a weird just and i think it's all self-created right yes you know but it's amazing like how smart your own brain is you know when you sit in front of something creepy for a while you start to I was working at my old studio when we were working on Ouija and I used to like to work at night with the door open and I would work with headphones on so my neighbors wouldn't want to shoot me right create their own horror movie (laughs) (laughs) but there are many times when like I you know I'd be in the middle of playing or working on something and I'd like what's that what's that that?" you know and you spin around like what's what's happening (laughs) I don't know that I ever experienced anything other than my own self-created like you know oh I can't sleep now tonight because I'm thinking about this or that even the origin story of the bye bye man is really creepy like it's actually like a really tortured soul as a child which is always really brutal to like take in and I think that I think that weighs on you when you're trying to like get in the zone of what project you're working on and how you're hoping people will emote based on what you're writing or not writing, I guess. I think for me, I, it's not so much the scary, it's more of the, uh, the sadness when I watch stuff. You know, you watch a scene and like Haunting Hill House, there was a couple episodes that I was just ready to cry. It was so, oh, yeah. so, emo- so emotional. Yeah. And uh, I remember before I wake, when we were working on this sequence and he was explaining how his wife had died and because of character Jacob Trimble, he was dreaming and <laughs> this monster ate his wife. Uh, you don't want to tell anybody spoil it, but in the actor who yeah, I think his name was Dash, I forget his name. He was just so good, and I remember just thinking to myself, I was watching it again and again, and I was just wow, it's so good, and I was getting so emotional. And it was super late at night, and I don't know, I started to feel like sad. And but it was before there was really much music, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My close friends know I get emotional at the end of every project. I think a lot of it is like lack of sleep and <laughs> hydrating and too much coffee. But I think it also is like starting, I think it's a lot of the emotionality of projects that you're working on. You start to kind of take them on and feel them, even though it's not real. Somehow you take on some of the feelings of it. I I don't know. Maybe that's. Sure. Uh, That's definitely. I mean, that's your job is to interpret this. Yeah. Yeah. It gets weird. I almost feel bad for my friends. Like a buddy of mine I run with as I get to the end of a project, I I know that I'm like, I'm sorry. I know we're running. I'm crying. Like, (laughs) I don't even know why. It's just like, you just feel like you've exhausted every, I don't know. It's a weird depleted feeling. Well, just like all the music that we all love, like Oculus, Haunted Hill House, all that. Like you just feel it. When we're sitting watching it, it just feels such. Oh, thanks. 
ocean. So we, yeah, I mean, it's nice oh. to hear. I mean, that you guys feel too. I mean, of course you do. But I mean, it's like it's so beautiful to hear that because oh, I know that you know, I feel it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, no, there there was one story of uh, there's a scene in Oculus where there's a nail uh, kind of situation where he takes his nail off. And uh, I noticed I, that cue lasted on the cue sheet for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we divvy We kind of like go for cues. We'll kind of write the, thematic ideas. And then once we start on a project, it's just kind of like a free-for-all. We'll just cherry-pick cues. And if we're not together, it's just like a Google Doc. And you just see it, it gets colored off. I'd be like, oh, well, Taylor took that one. All right, I'll take this one. And in Oculus, like, no one wanted to work on this scene. Where he's <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no, I don't want to do it. You know, I was uh, telling uh, Kate Siegel that Hill House made me cry twice. Yeah. You know, and, and part of it's the music. But I was telling her, you know, it's the genius in the compositions you guys came up with, especially these two tracks. I'm going to go with Come Home and Go Tomorrow. Yep. They're kind of similar to the piano arrangement, right? And, and, yeah. And places yeah. and uh, part of it I think of it like it's organic and part of it's inorganic because you get the organic instruments you know with this violin cello piano and then you get maybe a stinger here maybe some heavy metallic some industrial sounding right. something right what I loved was some of those episodes had me on edge where I was like shit like something's gonna happen something's gonna happen and then you get that the piano you know from go tomorrow you know it's like oh i'm safe yeah thank god like, that was, <laughs> yeah. it was like so much tension and i was like this is great like the music is so fantastic well and that's oh, again the, the genius of flanagan you know we were sketching out ideas he was encouraging us to be as minimal as possible some of the sketches we'd written for hill house early on are these you know have all kinds of crazy things going on and he encouraged us to really try to let's be what the story is. This is, I think, something he would tell us a lot. Like, let's listen to what the story is telling us and be that and not be something else, which obviously makes complete sense. But sometimes as composers, you're in another place. Like, you want to do really well and you overdo, sort of. And one of the, the last rounds we sent Mike, he was shooting in Atlanta. And uh, we thought we were going to get fired when we sent off this round of cues. Because he said, <laughs> be as minimal as you can and be real. And so some of the things we did was playing those melodies spaced out by, I mean, monstrous spaces. Like I had to like sit at the piano and like, I mean, it was embarrassing. You uncomfortable. Know? Like, yeah, it'd it be uncomfortable. Yeah. And then even there's another track that's just percussion. We had done more percussion for some movement in the scene. And he was like, let's be minimal. Let's use space as our friend. So, I mean, we had these like huge drums set up in the studio and we'd like hit a flam like boom. And stand there and take a sip of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Tapes running, you know, like it's happening. Like, and you get ready and be like, "No, not yet." <laughs> Wait, and then let's just one single hit, like home, and leave it alone and just let it, you know. And like, I remember I sent that one to Taylor, and he was like, "I, I don't know, you know." It's our, I was like, "I don't no know way. either." Like, I think we're no gonna get way. fired if we send it. Yeah, I think no way. <laughs> we were like, we need to try it. So we set this batch of cues. It was all very minimal. Mike sent us an email like 15 minutes later and he was like, guys, this is great. We're on it. This is it. Here we go. And it was like, there's always in projects a time when you get to a point where you're like, okay, here we go. We're racing now. And now we <laughs> sort of know at least the direction we're going. And that was a place. And, and again, Flanagan is just, I mean, from telling us what notes to play to like, here's the bowing down again. He's, he's got a lot going on. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive. Those spaces and the beautiful four or five motifs that kind of evolve over the span of the 10 episodes. Add it with those spaces, make it just so romantic. It's such an experience. I think the show has this kind of, I mean, it has this romantic emotion and feel to it that I think everyone connects to. And some, we've all experienced love and loss and all these different feelings. And when Nell sees her husband, you know, I was like, wait, what? When I first saw him. <laughs> and then our sound guy, uh, Trevor, Trevor Gates, he sounded up and he's like, damn it, Mike. And he was like super, and he was like emotional and upset. And, and Mike was like, ah. we had multiple episodes where, I mean, we'd, we'd sit down to spot each episode with Mike and everyone in the room. I mean, there was at least two episodes where there were at least four people crying at the, I mean, I was one for sure. Like yeah. you're just like, you can't believe what just happened, you know? And I think there's such a nice story that everyone can relate to like at the end of episode one when you sort of are meeting luke you're like oh this brother what a mess 
right? But if you only really knew like the heartbreak and the just the like all that he's been through and what's really going on, it's so funny like taking that into our own lives of just not being so quick to judge even if someone cuts you off in the gas station takes a pump. You know what? Maybe something terrible just happened to that. Like it's really kind of that whole series actually has affected me in life more. I feel like I'm more mellow and patient yeah. and tolerant of people just because of that. More empathetic of people who may or may not have grown up in haunted houses. I love how much like Flanagan's narrative I found puzzles in your work for us to find too, which is marvelous. The seven drum hits that you use in Hill House <laughs> oh, representing the oh, members wow. of the yeah. Crane family, yeah. for instance. Yeah, you got that. I want to know if there's any other Easter eggs hidden in your work. I know much like Flanagan Flanagan likes putting the Oculus mirror in everything he does. Is there anything in that Flaniverse that musically connects each project? Interestingly enough, we try, as far as sounds, to never repeat the same instrument in another project to keep it as fresh as possible. The only instrument that's made it in two projects is Ouija and obviously Hill Houses was the waterphone. Wow. That was the only instrument. Everything else other than piano. But even piano, we use different pianos. We record different ones, different sounds. There are different ways of playing them. We try to stay true to that, but there are subtle things we do or attempt to try to do to, to kind of insert slide in there. And, you know, most time people don't necessarily know them, but whether it be thematically with notes or sounds and in, in Hill House, we have these whispers and it's like this chanting and talking underneath all some of these like swells of noises. And we would do them, you know, it seems sporadically but would actually do it very definitively on certain places depending on what character it was or what was happening so we do stuff like that and we try to use woodwinds with the kids you know we're back in the older older times or the older times but 90s yeah, yeah. Yeah. The older yeah, times. yeah 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 uh, you know so uh, 2010 <laughs> way back then so you know we tried to do certain things and interestingly enough Mike would start liking things like, oh, let's put this here. And I'd be like, well, that doesn't really, in my mind, I'd be trying to like try to figure it out. How can I make this work? Right. And I think that's the challenge and the fun. But we definitely attempt to do some of those things. Good pickup on the seven hits. The only person that ever picked up on that, strangely enough, on their own was Flanagan. We were on the dub stage. <laughs> really? Yeah, we're on the dub stage sitting there with him. And he just kind of turned and looked at me. And he was like, are those seven hits related to the story? <laughs> I just said maybe, because <laughs> he, you know, he's real. He's real humble too. So we try, we try and just do things and hope that they land and work. And it was nice to have him like ask that that day. I kind of like poured a nice tequila shot. Yeah, that day. right. Yeah, right. yeah. Cool. that must like, good. Yeah. He's so on top of everything. You know, he, that, yeah, he's. It's, yeah, it's funny yeah, too because normally we on a, on a film we have playback and we play the cues for him and you know we talk about it and that's how we've done it with him. On Hill House is a little different because. He was gearing up to go shoot Dr. Sleep. We wrote all, a ton of music before he came back. So we had a lot, but sometimes it wouldn't work for a scene. Sometimes characters, we didn't write new things. It was still a lot of writing and a lot of new stuff. So he would just be like, guys, I'm sure it's great. I would say after episode, like what, two or three, he's like, I'm sure it's great. And he's like, just, you know, write it. And we'll, you know, we'll go to the, the stage, the dub stage, and we'll, listen to it. I'd be sitting there. I'd be like, Oh, (laughs) it's stressful because you're not sure like where. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it it ended up working, but it was just not, that wasn't normally our method of work. Usually, there's a buffer period of like, Hey, this isn't working. Let's change it. Cool. We have a few days. This was like, we're on the stage. This isn't working. Like, oh boy, let me open up the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy, does anyone have any tongues? Yeah, exactly. Nope. <laughs> yeah. You collaborated with Danny Elfman on "Before I Wake." Was that a direct collaboration, or was there cues that were just shared between you guys, or how did that? What was the concept there? I met Danny at the Toronto TIFF for Oculus Midnight Madness. He had been there. We're friends with his daughter, Molly. She is also friends with Mike. And so she is a producer. She was a producer on Before I Wake. At the time, it was called Somnia, which which they would have kept. And so uh, she introduced me to Danny. And, you know, I grew up on Edward Scissorhands. You know, I obviously was a big fan of his work and and, and all his music. And and so I met him and he was like, wow, I really like that ending piece. was just really great. And where did you record this? And I was just kind of like, wow, this is really cool. And we we hit it off. Such a talented, such a great guy. And then uh, I would say the producer had let us know on Oculus that, you know, Danny would be scoring Mike's next movie. But I think that was even before we signed on to Oculus. Probably a couple months passed and Mike called us up and just said, hey, you know, 
would you like guys like to score this with Danny? And we said, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, we started writing stuff. Danny started writing stuff. And then we kind of got together with him and, and um, we, we talked about the score. Yeah, we just started writing things and melding things together. And I would say I mean, he was very involved and, and we were kind of going back on ideas. I would not say as much, obviously, as Andy and I. Mm-hmm. Still, he gave what he thought this would be like or this one you know he likes some stuff we're doing here and we kind of all it was pretty cool to yeah. ha- i mean we had a couple of playback sessions with him where he would listen to stuff we'd done and like we'd talk about it, it was, that was pretty cool you know that's a pretty cool experience uh, to have yeah. <laughs> minus the howdy duty doll scared <laughs> 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 so, yeah and then you know it went really well and there's a lot of music to write so yeah there was a lot of cues in that movie yeah you know unfortunately with the relativity thing it didn't get the proper the release that i thought it deserved uh, got kind of stuck in that world and then finally netflix freed it out of there but yeah we were really proud of the music you know a lot of orchestra music and crazy sounds too it was a blast it was a blast working with seems like you guys are going to be busy for the next while because I heard that Flanagan just signed, what, a five-year deal with yeah. Netflix again? They're just re-upped something? Yeah, we're talking about Bly, Bly Manor, right? <laughs> yeah, are, exactly. are you guys signing on? We haven't Not really, officially. Yeah, no. okay. You know, he gave us the wink and be prepared to be, <laughs> for the tsunami. To be busy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so we, you know, we've just been kind of hustling now. There's a lot of music in, in what we're doing now. So. Yeah. You get these guys who are kind of the next Spielberg's, the next people who come up or Malik's or, you know, and not that they're gone or anything. They're the great, amazing stuff now. But I think there's just new people coming up and Ari Aster, for example, hereditary. Yeah. It's a good yep. example. Yeah. Somebody yep. came out of left field. And Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And I think it's great because I think the thing about horror that makes it so incredible is that you can kind of bring people in who maybe wouldn't want to be around love or drama or emotion or sci-fi, whatever it is. And you kind of, hide and conceal a little bit and then when they're in the film and they fall in love with it they're like oh that basically was a sci-fi film but because it's hidden in this like scary dark core monster movie or something like alien you know i think people get into it and get stuck and i think mike is great because i remember we were talking at the premiere about haunted hill house they're like oh it's so scary and, da, 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 and i was so scared and i was kept thinking oh yeah it was scary <laughs> but i was thinking of the emotion and the characters right yeah and I, yeah. I i that's where i was in my mind and i was thinking oh it's more of a drama but they're like oh it's super scary and i was like yeah it's scary that's what's great about mike is he tells these he's all about storytelling that excellent character development yeah yeah, yeah. he knows how to get to the heart of things yeah oh yeah and he you know gets these kids and these little kids and then you know, they cry and, you, and your heart melts. <laughs> the story is everything with, I mean, with every genre, but especially horror, right? Because you can't be scared if you don't feel something to start with, right? There's not, right. there's nothing scary about if you don't feel something, you're not attached to it. It's, it makes it just like, well, oh, well, that person was just mutilated brutally. Like too bad. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Two kids um, having sex got speared. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. It's interesting. And it's, it's funny too, because I find that, you know, there's so many movies is to come out that I feel like they're doing stuff for the sake of doing it and you're not necessarily feeling it. It doesn't relate to you. And Mike will just sit back and just be like, I can tell, I can see him like just kind of taking it in. Like, am I feeling this? Is it hitting me? And he just knows that line really well. Yeah, we're looking forward to more. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah. There's so much amazing stuff in the works happening right now that I don't really know what I can say, but yeah, there's just so much cool stuff. I mean, I grew up, I mean, I don't sure all of us, but I mean, the shining is just, boy, oh boy, where do I begin? Right. You know, it's such, and it's such an impactful project that <laughs> a movie that just left me, you know, slightly scarred when I watched it. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 there's so many things going on. So we talk a lot about Mike Flanagan, but you guys also worked with Tony K. Yes. Correct? Yes. Do you have any cool Tony K stories? We do. <laughs> I, I, I remember yeah. one specific. <laughs> yeah, um, we came on to that project. It was kind of nuts. We got a call from one of the producers who's become a great friend. We actually worked on The Runner with him as well. And he called. Uh, we got hired onto Detachment. We were trying to get some dialogue with Tony just to get some direction as to where we could go. We know that they liked a demo we had written, but that's all we sort of knew. And it was based off a couple scenes. So uh, the producer kind of called and just said, just 
kind of go with that vibe. Like what you did in those scenes, perfect. Just apply that everywhere. So we started writing and we left a voicemail for Tony and we sent him an email and just said, you know, let us know when you want to rap about this. And we had a little under three weeks to do the score for that. So we were working through the night and he called me at 11 p.m. L.A. time and he was in New York. So it's two in the morning and he was with Adrian in the edit bay in New York working on it. And his first instruction was, do you know who George Martin is? Said, yes. He said, I want you to take a bass player who's amazing at bass and have him or her play a trumpet and have a trumpet player <laughs> play the bass Jeez. and make it beautiful. <laughs> wow. And That's a great response. I, and he was very nice about it. And he I, was. Yeah. Being that, I mean... Everyone has a creative mind, so we all know that we go to those. Like sometimes you're in line at Starbucks, and you're like, uh, "I want a warm drink that has crack in it." You know, like, <laughs> I don't hear that. I mean, maybe not. <laughs> I don't ever get warm drinks. I don't, yeah, is that right. the secret menu? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> but I remember thinking, like, uh, should I shit myself or should I ask more questions? Because I was, I didn't know how to respond to that because I, I don't really know what that means. Our demos were like piano and ambient synthesizers basically and i'm not sure anyway so it was that began the process and and wow. then we had another phone call which is oh. like actually pretty literal where he said i want you to go into your kitchen and get pots and pans and record them bang them like and so we did a version that was like we're like let's not do that let's take metal samples of real instruments and play them chaotically and we sent that in he's he called us out on it like we sent that in and the next day he called and said, no that's not what i told you to do i want you to go in the kitchen and break things like be chaotic with it and we did and he, he and he would, loved it so he would send i remember looking at my phone he would send these emails and the font size was so big that <laughs> You couldn't you couldn't get past more than like a word or two as you would scroll. And so he would say, and he's very creative and he's an, such an incredible director. He's done so many things that I, I do I do love. And if he liked it, he would say, you know, make angels sing, you know, and that's what he would say. Yeah. Um, and then if he didn't like it, it would be something else. Yeah. <clears throat> but he was really, I mean, he, and he really like, I mean, he would floor me with the shots that he set up, especially in that yeah. film. Like, I mean, he set up some of these shots where you're just like, I mean, I don't know if you've all seen it, so I don't want to ruin it. There's a spoiler in the middle of something pretty tragic that happens that's kind of crucial to the movie. But like the way he set that scene up, the way he made it happen with what he or she does. And at the end of the movie, there's this whole like reading of a poem that's, that's like, beautiful. it's set up gorgeously. It just looks like an apocalyptic like zone and you've got Adrian Brody like sitting on a school desk. It's, it's really like gorgeous, like what he sort of did with that film. So it was really an honor to be a part of that. But it took a bit to work with the communication. We had sure. to understand because he was also in New York and there was a couple of things you're going against. I believe, you know, that he had brought someone on. It didn't work out. If you bring in your person, they don't go. It's, you're always like, uh, would they not do the pans thing? It would, it would <laughs> not have been pans. That yeah. might have been, that might have yeah. been, been, been it. But by the end of the film, he, there was a great relationship. Right. He was, a, he figured out the balance with yeah. the pans, yeah. by the way, this was sort of fun. I don't think I've ever told anybody this. You're the only one that knows uh. this. I didn't know how to bang pan like i didn't should i drop them and record them so i set up three bikes in the kitchen of my old house and i grew up playing hockey and i took a hockey stick and i put all the pans in the middle of the room and i just started shooting pans around <laughs> <laughs> no slap shots all wrist shots just like and it made a glow it sounds wow. amazing yeah so, yay to hockey yay. Yay. See, i love that you brought up hockey because the security guard down in our neighborhood thinks that we have a meeting about hockey for some reason he's like why are all these people coming here so late yeah, <laughs> yeah. they think the boo crew is a hockey club that you awesome. watch hockey Great. sweet yeah, all yeah. Right. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. Meanwhile, secret horror podcast through a bookcase. Oops, don't tell the HOA. No. Oops. Oh, man. By the way, I wish everyone could see, like, what is happening in here. This is amazing. <laughs> this Thank room you. is just incredible. Incredible. The artwork is, oh, wow. We'll get some of it on film when you uh, head over to that piano in a sec here, I think. Phenomenal. <laughs> Phenomenal. I'm a firm believer that sound and music and film, to me, it's way more important than, like, the quality of it. If you shoot on an iPhone, I'm okay with it, but give me some good quality sound, music, composition, you know, and all that. Now, what advice can 
can you guys give to somebody out there who wants to get into this business, who's great with music and wants to get their stuff in the film or TV? I think just working as much as you can, like technology uh, kind of affords almost anyone to be able to do it nowadays. I was an actuary out of college. Like I was a nerdy, like business guy, sort of. I grew up obviously with music. And so I didn't know where to start. I would literally drive down to LMU <laughs> and post up on the film school's boards. Like I will score your film for free. I went to USC. I will score your films for free. I'm still friends with a bunch of those producers and directors from LMU and USC. And I probably scored 30 films of that were short, some of them all on all kinds of subjects. And I think that just starting and just doing, you know, like the better off dead, like go that way. If something gets in your way, turn. Like, I think that's like, I think that's the way to do it. Like, I think it's just to dive in and there's so many opportunities to do it nowadays, even online, like people collaborate, you know, like to be able to post somewhere, post on Reddit, I'll score your film for a hundred dollars or something. I think the other, the best other way, I mean, it depends on who you work for, which is obviously in anything. But to be an assistant to another composer, oh, you know, I, I've learned a ton working for other under other composers. And a lot of times what happens, too, is they get so overwhelmed and they're so busy and they can't physically write all that. And so opportunities come up if you've kind of come through the ranks and you've learned things and maybe you've done a bunch of short films, you will get an opportunity thrown at you. And then, you know, you could knock that out and you build more relationships on your own. And I think that just kind of grows and grows and next thing you know you know you're working with someone who just did what did he do uh black panther oh yeah that composer had wow. worked with him out of college they had a great relationship and so it, it happens actually quite often well we're gonna stop there we're gonna hear some music i can't wait thank you guys so much we can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time yeah. and we can't wait to devour every single project that is coming out from you guys oh thank you so much awesome 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 thank, thank you guys we broadcast over 666 kilohertz on the am band movie scores soundtracks and bands it's killer tracks on terror tunes music is my life. Live musical performances conjured up in our seance room. Watch the video of this session at TalesFromTheBrewCrew.com and on our YouTube channel. Subscribe to not miss out on any more of these as they come. The Newton Brothers performing a medley of music from Haunting of Hill House. This is so awesome. Enjoy.
loved you completely. And you loved me the same. That's all. The rest is confetti. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 39. Special thanks to our guests, the Newton Brothers. Follow them at the Newton Brothers on Instagram with the number three replacing the E in brothers and at the Newton Bros on Twitter. If you go to Waxwork Records, you can pick yourself up the complete soundtrack to The Haunting of Hill House on double haunted green and blue swirl colored vinyl and deluxe packaging. And it is stunning. Definitely get it while it's still around. Look out for the Newton Brothers score for Dr. Sleep in theaters later this year. Thank you so much for being a part of our Boo Crew family. Till next time, Trev for the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Bye.